I speak to you in the name of the living God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Recently, I came across a letter that a couple shared with me several years ago. Actually, it was while I was serving my first parish in Denver, Colorado. The letter dates back to 1982, and it describes an event that occurred even prior to, are you ready for this? The internet. The, couple, the couple's daughter was in her first year in a rather prestigious girls' school, college, in Pennsylvania. And after just a few months in school, she wrote her parents this letter. Remember, no internet, no cell phones, no texting back then. They still wrote letters. It reads as follows. Dear Mom and Dad, I'm sorry I haven't written sooner, but there's been a terrible accident. My dormitory caught on fire and burned down. But don't worry, I've moved in with this wonderful young man that I met, and to make a long story short, I'm pregnant. But everything's going to be okay because my boyfriend says he's going to marry me. Not only that, we're going to live with his parents in Fairbanks, Alaska, in an apartment above the gas station where his father works. Well, that's enough for now. I'll write again soon when things be become a little more settled. Love, Stephanie. Oh, P.S. The dormitory didn't burn down. I'm not living with anyone. I'm not pregnant. I'm not getting married. I'm not moving to Alaska. It's just that I got a D on my biology midterm, and I wanted to keep, you, keep that in perspective. <laughs> Cleopas and his unidentified friend were trying to keep things in perspective as they walked dragging their feet on that dusty, dirty, first-century Palestinian road on Easter Day. Like the other disciples, they were in complete and utter despair. Catatonic, you might say. Their grief was almost inconsolable. Their expectations about Jesus had been absolutely shattered. They had hoped that he was going to be the one who would redeem Israel. In other words, a savior who would deliver the Jewish people from the tyranny and oppression of the Romans. But now, now those hopes had been utterly dashed, and they were trying to figure out just what had happened, what had gone wrong. Walking down that road, they were overcome with disappointment, confusion, disillusionment, and despair. Their sole reason for leaving Jerusalem was to get on with their lives, to be doing something more than simply sitting around and wallowing in their misery. This story begs each one of us to recognize that it is also our story. It's a story we're all familiar with. It's a story about lives shattered and lives restored. Like these two men, we've all known times when our life seemed to be going to pieces. Disappointment and despair has visited us or will visit us all sooner or later. And we have to ask ourselves, where am I going to find the strength to deal with this? How am I going to be able to cope with this experience? I've heard those questions asked countless times throughout my ministry, as have the other clergy here today. 
I've heard them ask when a young couple's infant child becomes suddenly very seriously ill and has to be hospitalized. I've heard them ask when a family member suffer, suffers from depression, alcoholism, or a drug addiction. I've heard them ask when one spouse isn't feeling well and they discover an abnormality, goes to the doctor and finds out that they have a malignant tumor. I've heard them ask when someone's marriage is on the rocks and they're wondering if the marriage is even going to survive. I've heard them ask when someone's financial security has taken a significant downturn or they've lost their job and have no income whatsoever. I've heard them ask when a young teenager gets into some serious trouble in school or trouble with the authorities. I've heard them ask when an aging parent falls and breaks a hip or has cognitive issues like dementia or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's disease. Have you ever felt as though your life had been turned upside down or that your life has been shattered by some major crisis, calamity, or illness? Well, if so, then you know what it feels like to be in Cleopas and his friend's shoes. This story about the journey that Cleopas and his companion took from Jerusalem to Emmaus and then back to Jerusalem again is a journey that each one of us has taken or is now taking or will be taking sometime in the future. Understand that I'm not talking about Jerusalem and Emmaus as particular geographical locations, although they were that as well. I'm talking about them as portals, apertures through which we'll be able to see God more fully and to understand ourselves and others more completely. Luke is the only gospel writer who records this story. It's a story about how to deal with disappointment whenever it comes into our lives. And when it does, here's what this passage is suggesting that we do. One, look back. Look back to the Scriptures. Two, look around at the fellowship that you share with other people. And three, look ahead to the resurrection. I believe that these three actions will inevitably take the heartache out of any kind of disappointment or despair that we feel in the future. So now let's take a closer look at each one of these. In Cleopas' mind and in that of his friend, their only hope had been nailed to a cross, and there he died. The two of them must have felt as though the wind had completely gone out of their sails. It would take them two hours to walk that seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And that's how long they had to talk about the, the roller coaster of events that had occurred over just the past three days. Jesus' arrest, his trial, his torture, his brutal crucifixion, and then the silent procession to Joseph's tomb. They were absolutely certain that Jesus had died because they'd seen his body nailed to that cross. And they'd also seen Joseph of Arimathea take him down from that cross and place him in his new freshly hewn tomb. Then came the women's vision 
the vision of angels and an empty tomb and the rumor that he'd risen from the dead. Yes, they'd heard the rumors that he was alive, but it all sounded to them like an idle tale, a fabricated, made-up story. As yet, there was no tangible proof that Jesus had, in fact, risen from the dead. So what were they to do? There was nothing else for them in Jerusalem, so let's move on. Clearly, their hopes and expectations had not materialized. And in a very real sense, they were utterly lost. The light of their life had gone out. And a very real part of their life had died that first Good Friday. It was near dusk when Jesus appeared to them on the road to Emmaus. But they didn't recognize him. He asked them what they were talking about and why they were so sad and downhearted, which stopped them dead in their tracks. Was this stranger living in some kind of a bubble or what? Surely you're the only stranger in Jerusalem who hasn't heard, they said. Heard what, Jesus asked them. Isn't it interesting that instead of being the only person who did not know what happened in Jerusalem, Jesus was actually the only person who did know what had happened in Jerusalem because he was there. He experienced it all. As they continued to walk and describe in great detail all of the things that had occurred and about how they had hoped that Jesus was this one who would redeem Israel, Luke then describes what happened next. Jesus said to them, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What a Bible class that must have been. Now, I've attended more of Jeff's Bible classes than you can shake a stick at, and he's really good at it. If you haven't attended one, you really need to. But I'll bet that even Jeff Miller would have loved to have been in on this class. For Cleopas and his friend, these were the very first words of encouragement that they'd heard in the midst of all of their disappointment and despair. You see, Jesus had taken them on an exclusive tour of the Old Testament scriptures. He was helping them find wholeness and restoration by looking back, looking back to the scriptures. And why? Why look back? Because the scriptures always, always give us a testimony of who Jesus is. And don't you have to wonder just what scriptures Jesus was referring to when he talked with them about the scriptures? beginning with Moses and the prophets, interpreting to them all the things concerning himself? Well, one would think, for instance, of that great passage in Genesis 3.15, which we call the Proto-Evangel, the first gospel. I will put enmity between you and the woman. That would be Satan and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, and it will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Perhaps he was talking about that passage from Isaiah chapter 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Or this one, 
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And by his stripes we are healed. Or again from Isaiah. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shears is dumb, he opened not his mouth. Well, there are so many others. From Psalm 22, from Micah, from Zechariah. Jesus was pointing them back to the scriptures for reassurance. The reassurance that the prophets, what the prophets had said about him was true. And that what he had said about himself was also true. Namely, that he was the savior of mankind. The one who would come into the world to save mankind from their sins. Reading and studying the scriptures is always a good discipline to engage in at any time in our lives. But especially, especially at those times when we find ourselves discouraged or in despair. Sometimes I think we forget just how deep and insightful they are and how directly they speak to our everyday lives. Even though they were written centuries ago. I've never known anyone who's going through a tough time, a life-shattering experience, who didn't find passages in Scripture to be a deep source of comfort and hope and strength. It's as if they were written just for them. Each time I read them, I always find some new and surprising insight and revelation in them for myself. And so often, they're exactly what I need to hear just when I need to hear it. Jesus had a purpose in turning Cleopas and his friends' attention back to the Scriptures. It was to help them see how God was acting in the world, loving the world, redeeming the world from sin. And this is why we, too, need to look back to the Scriptures because they remind us of just how much God loves us and how much we need God in our lives. They put our lives into proper perspective. My second point is that it's also good to look around at those that you're in fellowship with. That's what the disciples did. After their long journey, they'd arrived at home hungry, exhausted from their trip, and they invited their guests to come in their house and have dinner with them. Proper Middle Eastern custom dictated that they offer their guests the privilege of saying the blessing over the meal. So Jesus blessed and broke the bread and gave it to them. And it was in that very moment that they recognized who he was. Perhaps it was something about the way he gestured, his mannerisms, the inflection in his voice. Perhaps they'd even seen him do this before. The point is that it was then that they recognized who he was. And then just as quickly, he vanished into thin air. Now they found themselves just staring at each other and reflecting on the fellowship that they'd had with him and exclaimed, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? You might say that God had emblazoned the gospel upon their hearts so that the eyes of their hearts 
were open and they could finally see who Jesus was as their risen Savior and Lord. That reminds me of John Wesley and his conversion to Christ, which he described in this way. I felt my heart strangely warmed. Strangely warmed. Have you ever felt your heart strangely warmed? Glowing with the fire of the risen Savior dwelling within you? When these two men were with Jesus, they experienced fellowship, hospitality, word, the word of God, and sacrament. All of the ways that Christ has promised to be present with us through his body, the church. Now, I'm not talking about this building or the institution of the church, but the people of God, us, who attend to one another, to friends and visitors and complete strangers, offering God's word and sacraments to them, warming their hearts with the good news that he is their savior and redeemer. In dealing with disappointment and despair, simply look around. Look around you for the fellowship of other brothers and sisters in Christ who love you, who care about you, who support you, who pray for you, who stand with you when you're going through troubled times and who are there to listen to you and understand just what you're going through because they too, at one time or another, have been right where you are. Each time we receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, we become a part of one large family underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ. St. Paul said, we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. When Jesus vanished from the disciples, he wasn't abandoning them. No, he was now within them. And then in an act of spontaneity, they rose up that very hour and they returned to Jerusalem. They returned to that place from which they had just come. But it was no longer a place of death. It was a place of resurrected life. It was no longer a place of sorrow. It was a place of radiant joy. It was no longer a place where lives had been shattered. It was a place where lives had been restored. Can't you just see them? those two disciples, hearts on fire, hearts aglow, running back to Jerusalem under the dark night sky, two disciples all aflame, glowing, beaming with the spirit of the risen of Christ, dwelling within them, letting their light so shine. This little gospel light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's what they were doing. So we look back to the scriptures. And we look around us for the fellowship that we share with brothers and sisters in Christ. And we look forward to the resurrection. On that first Easter day, when the amazed disciples discovered that it was Jesus that they were talking with and breaking bread with, they became true believers. Believers that he indeed had risen from the dead. That meeting on the road the meeting in their house 
helped put everything that they'd experienced over the past three days in a brand new perspective. Because Jesus was alive, it meant that their future was absolutely secure. Because God had raised Jesus from the dead on the third day, they were certain that one day God would raise them from the dead as well. St. Paul writes, As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all of us be made alive. And Jesus himself said, He that believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. You see, because we go from life, this life, into this life, new life, larger life, resurrection life, through a doorway that none of us want to pass through, but we all will one day. It's called the doorway of death. But we go from life into life. Their hopes had been revived. Their lives now began to take on a whole new meaning and purpose. What happened on Good Friday wasn't the end of their hopes and dreams after all. What happened on Easter Day meant that all their hopes and dreams had, in fact, been fulfilled. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ does change everything, doesn't it? Paul said, if for this life only we have hope, we are of all men most to be pitied. And why is that? It's because sin and the power of death no longer have the final say. Rather, God's unimaginable grace is the final definitive word. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is God's ultimate disclosure to us that the worst thing that can ever happen to us is never the last thing that happens to us. And the last thing that happens to us is the absolute best thing that ever happens to us. Eternal life. So whatever disappointments may come our way, one thing we should never forget is this, that because Christ has been raised from the dead, we too shall be raised. That fact will put everything in our lives in a new and much brighter perspective. Oh yes, the disappointments that we experience in life, they'll still be there. They will still hurt us. There's no getting around that. However, when we do find ourselves in those places of deep hurt and heartache and pain, Remember these three simple actions because they will help take the sting and the heartache out of them. Always look back to the scriptures. Always look around at the fellowship that you share with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And always look ahead to the resurrection of the dead and life everlasting. When you do that, I assure you that nothing will hurt for very long. And now unto God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be ascribed as his most justly due, all might, majesty, dominion, and power, now and forevermore. Amen.